0: Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business and finally live life on your own terms. Now, your host,
1: Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Gael, one of the founders of Authority Hacker and today I'm with Mark. How's it going, Mark? Great, as always. Sounded better than the first take, at least. <laughs> so in case you have never listened to this podcast, we make a weekly podcast on real-life issues that webmasters have when building websites. We personally build websites for ourselves, but if you are working for other people, it will most likely apply to you as well, especially this week's podcast, because this week we're going to talk about mistakes that you make when working with content writers, outsourced content writers, freelance writers, and how we recommend that you fix them. If you want to find all the show notes for this episode, you can find them on atoryhacker.com slash writer dash mistakes with an S at the end. And well, let's just dive right in. So Mark, what is...
0: Before we dive right in, I would like to say why you should listen to us on this one. How many pieces of content and how many writers do you estimate we have worked with over the last nine years, Gil? How many writers?
1: I would say maybe like 150, probably, or yeah, I'd say 150
0: to 200 writers, and probably 7,000 to 9,000 articles total.
1: Well, at some point, when we were doing guest posting, there's some months we did like 1,000 in a month, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you count that, plus all the stuff we've done for our sites, plus all the stuff we've done for clients when we had an agency...
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, it's closer,
1: to, maybe yeah. more than 10,000, actually. Yeah, I would we, say we've been 10, doing 000. this
0: for a long time and we've made every mistake there is to make. I think this is one of those cases where we failed so much that we've finally figured it out because we stopped doing everything that doesn't work. So, yeah, we listen to us in this. We do know what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, if you count that, like an average piece of content costs like $50 and we've got 10,000, Yeah, that's a lot of money. (laughs) That was like, if you think education is expensive in the US, try to get the indication for this price. Uh, The good news is that content that has also made us a lot of money. So it's not exactly that money that didn't pay back for itself. Like, we're doing good. But yeah, it's like we've done this a lot, too much. You decide. But anyway, I'll let you go for the first mistake. That we've probably made a bunch of times
0: okay so the first mistake and this is a question i get all the time and people want to know is how much do you pay your writers how do you pay them how do you structure that that payment and the truth is there's no perfect answer no perfect solution to this but i'm going to give you sort of all the options of what the pros and cons of, of each are The most simple and usually the place people start with is agreeing some kind of fixed price per article. So typically when you're starting a site for the first time or maybe you run an existing site and you're trying to produce X number of articles per week, three articles a week for the blog, however you want to do it, you have an idea of you want to be producing a certain amount of content and therefore you structure the pricing commitment with a freelance writer as a per article basis. So typically, you generally, your articles would be, I don't know, let's say 800 to 1,000 words, and then you'd pay them $50, or or I just made that number up. But that would be the pricing structure. And while that's very simple and, and easy to kind of grasp and there's nothing complex to calculate there, i found that having that sort of inflexibility Really prevents you from doing a lot of interesting stuff that you might otherwise want to do. Particularly if there's maybe a topic that's a bit longer or requires a bit more research, or or something something else. Maybe on the other end, you have a lot smaller topics and you want to produce that like shorter articles. It just stops you from having a, f- a fixed price per article. Stops you from having any kind of flexibility then. And you often find that if you specify a range. Let's say at 1,000 to 1,500 words, and you're paying per article, the motivation is to crank out as many as possible. So you'll often find articles which are exactly 1,000 words and, and not one more. So it tends to be on the short end. We don't pay anyone on a per article basis anymore. We used to do that quite a lot when we were doing guest posts. I'd say we cared less about the quality. This was way back in the day. So yeah, if you're looking to churn out content,
1: maybe it's a maybe it's a good approach. I think one interesting thing is like we definitely have a very dynamic world count for our articles these days. Yeah, because mostly we look at what's ranking on Google. I mean, it's really not rocket science. We like look at the top five. We try to make more or less an average. One of the ways I like to pick the word count for an article is to look at the person that's trying the hardest. So low domain rating, low linking root domains to the page, et cetera, and still ranking quite well and try to match that person. Because if you match that person, your chances are pretty high that you will do as well. And that definitely counts for the word count as well. And so if you have this kind of structure, it's not going to work out because you need to renegotiate for pretty much every article with your writer. Yeah, there's no flexibility there. So that
0: naturally leads on to working on a, a per word basis, which does add that flexibility that you get there. And it allows you to do a 5,000-word article and a 500-word article and and whatever else. However, that also creates an incentive for the writer, instead of producing many articles, just to create or write as many words as possible. So there's two issues with that. You'll often find, if you're not careful, I've had writers who come back, You know, I've asked them to write a a normal article or even specify the word count. And they've ended up writing, you know, 1,500 words more than we we needed, hmm. which is just like a, a, a sunk cost, essentially. It's not the end of the world if, if the quality is good. Where this is really an issue, though, is when writers start padding out articles with Fluff sentences, fluff words, fluff paragraphs,
1: even. I find a lot of fluff sections, literally, yeah. like stuff that is not needed in the article. I,
0: I mean, the worst for this is introductions and conclusions. I like to have those, you know, 50 to 100 words maximum. Get straight to the point, get into the article, capture the reader's attention. When you have, you know, extended sentences going on, explaining. Like if you're doing a a review of an iPhone and then the introduction is, you know, 500 words about the history of Apple and what an iPhone is and what a mobile phone is and that kind of thing, then you have some fluff right there. It's an extreme example, but it happens a lot with the introduction and conclusion. So just be careful with that. The other thing as well is I find that the research tends not to be nearly as good with uh, per word payment systems. The reason for that is because they're getting paid per word they write, not per hour or minute that they research. So it's their incentive to actually get more words on on paper, so to speak. So you've got to be careful with that. This leads on to another couple of ways to, to pay writers. If you use Upwork, they have a, an hourly or a fixed price contract system, which is, it's not really very well designed for writers. So maybe someone could create a software-as-a-service which is dealing with that. <laughs> you mean copy-coding copy. <laughs> with <laughs> that issue? Yeah, something which we tried to do a while back but you know. it didn't, didn't exactly work out. Anyway, if working with writers on an hourly basis, we don't do that at all anymore. While it is relatively flexible and often will allow them to, to spend more time researching, which is the, solves the problem with the per-word payment basis, it just incentivizes them to spend way too long writing and researching and just generally way too too long on the article itself. And this always leads to poor value for money. I've never had a, an hourly rate writer workout for more than, you know, a couple months. The amount of time logged just seems to get longer and longer and longer and then without any noticeable increase in, in quality. Which leads us to the next one, which is full-time writers. This is obviously a quite a significant commitment for you, especially if you're just starting out. However, we found that having someone who's a hundred percent dedicated to you allows just that like more focus on their like mind space focus I'm not quite sure how to describe this, but their their focus on what you're doing it's usually significantly cheaper than the equivalent per word per article or hourly rate that that same person would be charging the reason for that is they don't have to spend half their time trying to find work and trying to pitch new clients they can just work for you and kind of get on with it so there's a bit more or quite a lot more value for money there actually it has all the flexibility of uh of the previous situations and it allows them to spend more time researching The downside of this is it's a huge commitment and it gives you a lot less flexibility, even though you may know for sure that you want to be writing a lot of content for the next, I don't know, a year or so. In a year's time, things can change. You might want to focus on a different site. You might change your strategy somewhat. You may just want to take an extended vacation or something. And having a full-time person who you have to pay whether they're at full steam or not can be a... Yeah, significant
1: downside, significant cost in that situation. How is this different from hourly? Someone full-time is basically someone hourly working eight hours a day, no?
0: No, the main difference is it's a lot cheaper because you get the, as I said, that person doesn't have to spend time trying to find other work. So they're focused 100% on you. So every, like all the time they're working, they're making money essentially. So it's also get more like guaranteed income. People feel a lot more comfortable working with a a salary job. And I find you can build tend to be able to build a better relationship with someone who who works full-time versus someone who's working for six other clients at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think it changes the dynamic as well, right? If they're freelancer working for six clients, they lose one client, it's not the end of the world. If they're working full-time for you and they can't pay the rent because you're not happy, you're firing them, that's trouble for them. So just because of the added pressure... It also probably pushes people to try harder, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I think, I think it's quite good. But the thing is, like, if you don't have the money to hire someone full-time, which way would you recommend people go per for Per-word basis. Those are the two we do at the moment, full-time and per-word basis. I
0: would never do on an hourly basis or a per-article basis anymore. I find the per-article basis, you just end up getting, like, bad quality stuff for some reason. And the
1: hourly basis just costs too much money. So the other two. Yeah, so basically you go per word and you would have a type process to check for fluff. Yeah, so
0: I mean, the, the biggest downside with the per word is, as I said, like lots of fluff, like padding and poor research. So if you have a type process to control for those two things, then it's, it's probably the best overall, actually. But it does require, you know, a little bit more work and solid processes and potentially having other team members, you
1: know, editors and whatnot, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. But, yeah, as usual, we're just going to bleed into all the other points and we're going to get to the end of the podcast. We're like, well, we said all this stuff
0: already. <laughs> uh, but um, what I <laughs> did want to say about the per word basis, because this is also a question that comes up a lot, is how much do you pay? And we're on the record, I think, two or three years ago of saying like two to three cents per word. And that was true for Health Ambition two or three years ago. I find the prices for, for content writers has been going up a little bit over the last few years. Some niches are a lot more expensive than others. Health, surprisingly cheap, surprisingly inexpensive. And I think the reason for that is there's a lot of a lot of people who know the topic. And there's a lot of writers who perhaps have their own blog or but aren't yet making sort of income, like full-time income or yeah, significant income. So that they do a lot of freelance work. So you can get very qualified, very good people that, that know the topic very well for really not that much money we would typically pay about 3 to 4 cents a word for a site like health ambition if there's a, a niche which is more technical or mm-hmm. yeah just generally more technical or has a skill set that's a bit rarer then it's easy enough to find freelancers for in most niches for 5 to 6 cents a word if you're going in something which requires a degree like a doctor or a lawyer or something then it's it's significantly higher than that upwards of 10 cents an hour easily
1: 10 cents a word
0: if you want to use an agency the typical price they charge is about eight cents a word however there are agencies out there which go much lower than that like three four five cents a word so you know shop around in terms of actually finding people for those prices upwork is my probably my favorite place to find writers and the pro blogger jobs board is also very good so recommend those two
1: yeah, now you actually killed some of my stuff <laughs> in, a few, in a, the rest, but it's okay. Actually, I was going to ask you one more question because I think people care about this, even if you don't have the time to cover everything. You tried agencies as well, yet you're hiring people. Why?
0: An agency, all they're doing is they're saving you time. So they're doing the same thing that which I would do, which is like go out and find writers, manage them. All they're doing is they probably have these people on staff already. And they know who's good. They know who knows your, your topic. So they, if you need 40 guest posts written next week, then agencies are great. If you're looking for you know, a writer to write all your content for your, your site, I feel it's much better value to go and find that writer yourself and then we'll just work with them directly. Agencies are middlemen, rather.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. Point two is... Fully prepared briefs and concepts for articles. So, you know, I see a lot of people starting websites, especially when they get started, right? When the website doesn't have any content yet or when they just want to try something new with an existing site, you know, they go right away on Upwork, on ProBlogger, on TextBroker, whatever, and they go and hire someone with a very loose idea of what the article should be like, the quality level should be like, or even an idea of what the competition is like. Basically, not doing a lot of homework just trying to go for it right away. And I'm recording the other side system again right now. And uh, <laughs> the homework part is like already like 30 plus videos because just because you should be doing all these things before you even start your website. But so people, I see a lot of people just not doing this stuff and then get to a writer, make an order, just give them some keywords, maybe give them some competitor URLs and be like, I want this. And then you get something that just is not at all what you had in mind, but it's actually your fault. It's mostly because you haven't, first of all, you haven't worked closely enough on a, at least one piece of content. And that's what we recommend people. We recommend them to do the first 10 articles on their sites, actually. Why? Because they can use them as a benchmark. So really the first 10 articles, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It's going to be completely like, it's going to feel counterproductive. You're going to spend a lot of time at the beginning, just figuring stuff out, not being happy with stuff etc but what i tend to tell people is you should work on the first 10 articles to a point where you'd send it to your mom and you'd be like this is what's going to replace my job and she won't feel ashamed unless you do like a topic that your mom shouldn't see but apart from that you should really do that and as you do these things you should also be documenting this in briefs and together the benchmark of the articles you work really hard on maybe too much for what you should be doing in an article, but it's okay. You figure out so much in there, and if you document it in in briefs, which we actually do in your choice, I system, we actually give you our briefs, and then you can just add on to them. It's much easier. Then you give that to the writers that you hire, and you're like, this is the benchmark. This is the level of quality you need to reach. And the truth is, many times. When some a new writer comes on board, they won't be able to reach that level of quality because they're not willing to put the same level of effort that you have put in. And one of the other benefits of this process is that it allows you to figure out the other types of content creation jobs that you will need. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this in formatting and how to implement formatting with freelance writers. But... Personally, we work with illustrators, we work with editors. I mean, this podcast is being edited by a third person. I literally just talked to because I lost my thought process and they're going to edit that and hopefully you won't hear it. You can figure out designers, etc. And it really allows you to start building a sequential process and the beginning of your editorial process by actually working on these articles at the beginning. So really two things you want is the brief. And you want the benchmark articles that you spent a crazy amount of time on when you start a new website or when you start a new concept or when you just reboot your blog. Yeah, the
0: one thing I would say to that is it's never a good idea to be in a situation where you're just giving your writers keywords. Even if you have the best brief in the world, if you're just giving them keywords and then publishing without checking or not having any feedback loops in there or not having any training, which we'll talk about in another point. But content tends to
1: uh, decline in quality over time with that approach so another point I want to talk about is hiring non-topic experts and expect them to come out with articles that will compete with you know the best experts in the niche I mean I know how it feels, right? And I'm literally starting the authority Site System site right now. And even though I've started a lot of websites, I still get that feeling today. But like, when you start a site, you look at a competition like, well, it's doable to do something better. And you, you start with good intentions of like, hey, I can definitely take over this niche and so on. And then you do what we just talked about in the previous point, And then you get the first piece of pretty dull content back and you're like, Yeah. yeah, It's not matching what you thought was possible. And that's really a problem. It's like when you hire people, it really depends on on what you want. And some people, they're just happy to play the short game and accept that the content will not be the best in the industry. And that's okay. You can you can do okay not being the best. I mean, I don't think Health Ambition is the best health site ever created. We do our best. We try to hire people that know what they're talking about. But it is a long process to actually get there, even though you think that you can. And Yeah, you need people that know a little bit what they're talking about. So there's really a few solutions here. One, you just accept that your content is not going to be absolutely perfect. You can play the short, middle-term game, or you can just accept it and work on this in the long term. Two is learn the topic yourself and prepare the research for the article by on your own. And I actually done that a lot on Atari Hiker. Surprisingly, I haven't written every blog post under my name, but what I've done is I've actually done all the research and created like, I mean, I showed in the Atari Atari Hacker Pro, like some of the briefs I used on Atari Hacker, some of them are like two or 300 bullet points with every single resource. And pretty much each sentence is pre-written in a bullet point. It just goes faster. And I can send these bullet points to a writer and they pre-write it for me and I edit it. And I feel like it's, it's my own, but like, you can do that. You can learn a topic yourself. I need to, any writer really, if you prepare properly, and get very high quality, highly competitive content that will stand out in your industry. And just to add to that, um, in the new authority site system
0: course, which we're building, I actually did exactly that in a niche that I knew almost nothing about. And it's interesting how easy it is to find interesting and different insights about a topic which from other articles which are already out there but which can help you to write essentially something that's better than whatever is ranking number one for that topic already if you're prepared to put in a bit of research time and you as a site owner once you kind of have that feel for in a space for what makes good content in the health industry or what makes good content in the online marketing space. Once you know that, once you grasp that, it's very easy to then go on to a different subtopic of that. So, moving from link building to writing about keyword research or something and apply that same kind of it's just like a sixth sense you develop for what's good and what's kind of average. Apply that same logic to the the research process and if you work with a writer on that, then you will get much, much better content.
1: Yeah, if you're willing to put that in. I mean, I think that's really one of the ways to stand out these days with being somewhat time efficient. It's um, working on doing the research yourself, preparing, like I use Dynalist right now to do this. I used to, to use Workflow Dynalist. I like it better these days. But yeah, just huge list of bullet points with like also the article structure. I feel like, if you 've been consuming a lot of online content, you know what you expect from article structure, especially for reviews i mean i 'm a huge tech nerd, I read like every single gadget review that comes out there, et cetera and so when it 's really useful because when we do our own website it's like i'm like, oh yeah, of course, when you compare two products to each other like the it's just uh, you use the features and then you declare a winner, and then the one that has the most points at the end is like the winner of the of the versus keyword or something and it 's like your writers, they don't necessarily know this stuff. So yeah, doing that kind of research yourself, getting involved really helps. But the third one is probably the one that comes right after is hiring an editor that knows that can do the same thing for you. So you probably would do it together with him at the first time, him or her, obviously. And then eventually just pass on the research to these people. And what's really good is if you're just starting as well, you can hire this editor. You could hire this editor as you start the website, but you could hire this editor who is also a topic expert when you're not necessarily, and they can add value. So you could be doing the research, pass that to them. It's really not a lot of time for them to check it and be like, oh, we could also talk about this. We could also do this, etc. Oh, there's this thing you don't know about in this industry. And then really create high quality content. And once this research is done, like any writer can pick it up and they literally have all the material to write a really good article. And these writers won't necessarily be very expensive because they don't have to be topic experts themselves because you have done the expertise part for them. And another way to do that, if, um, let's say you, you have more money than time, it's just changing the way you hire, right? So we were talking about Upwork, we were talking about ProBlogger, et cetera. But I, I find another way to find people that could write for you, although you come up with a whole new different set of challenges with these kind of people. Is messaging people on forums, messaging people on Facebook groups, emailing bloggers that already do good stuff. And overall, just in your head, say that you want specialists. Obviously, because these people are not writers, you will suffer sometimes with grammar, you will suffer sometimes with deadline and work ethics, etc. So there a whole new set of challenges that I don't necessarily want to open right now. But it's also another way to do it. I personally really like the idea of preparing the research and handing it to the writer, and or training someone that can do research and separating the research and the writing as jobs. They're two different jobs, essentially.
0: One of the biggest issues I have with the actual content creation process itself is exactly that, like a lack of any kind of structured process. One of the things I like to be able to do is to come in at any point, maybe I've taken my eye off content for a week or something, come in and just have some kind of overview of where everything's at. And in the past, especially when working with multiple writers, it can get quite complex quite quickly. If you, you know, having emailing one writer and chatting on Skype on another, someone sending you Word documents here and there, another person's putting everything on Google Drive, someone's attached some PDFs to an email, like it gets very messy very quickly. Even if you're just working with with one writer on one site. But imagine working you know, with 10 writers on 10 sites. It's very, very challenging. So what you need to do is have some kind of structured editorial process. I mean, typically, we use Asana for this. You can use tools like Trello as well, which I believe... Is it still free, Trello,
1: or they charge? for? It? Yeah, it's free, and you can share the balls. That's one of the main reasons that we mm-hmm. use Asana for our own business, but we actually give Trello balls to people because we can actually build them for people and then they just... Yeah, I, I, it up Asana is free
0: as well, but they, they have a premium version which is really, really good now and it's, it's one of these things where you, it's quite heavily incentivized to upgrade if you want to use it properly. But yeah, having this will stop the kind of Miss deadlines. It gives everyone an overview of where every piece of content is at because you have a big list of articles, which you, you've put in there. What we do in Asana is we add custom fields and we create, you know, stages. So it's if it's in draft or waiting to be edited or, you know, waiting to be published, these kinds of things and writers or whoever's working on it will go and change the status. You can assign content to different people this way and it will notify them automatically via their email or in in asana or trello as a notification as well so you don't have to send separate emails to writers saying hey can you write this you you just load it all up there we actually do it in a sort of batch format so we'll load up you know several weeks worth of work so writers can often see what's coming again in asana right now there's a really cool task dependency feature so where we have these subtasks for structure the article then write the article and edit the article as soon as someone finishes one of those things, they check it off and the next person auto- automatically gets notified, hey, this next subtask is, is ready for you to, to start now. So that, that's really important. We also make sure that all our writers have access to our Google Drive folder and all the files are stored in there. Nobody's working you know, on their own desktop environment. So we have everything in one place. Everything's in Google Doc. Everything's in the same format. We actually even have like ID numbers for each article now. So it's easier to find as well as the title themselves. And something which we don't do at the moment, but I think we will start doing that is, or there's like a calendar feature within Asana as well. I think it works in in Trello too, if I'm right. So on a lot of our sites, we're just trying to publish as much content as quickly as possible. On a site like Authority Hacker though, it's more, I mean, we're not actually publishing any Blog content at the moment. It's more like every <laughs> six months we got to pick yeah. the
1: right date. It's complicated. It, it, so
0: definitely, the in an ideal theory. world, we'd be publishing, you know, once a week or like every Friday would be a blog post. Every Tuesday would be some tutorial. You get the point. That's how we should be doing it. And even when we get to that point, it's going to be, we're going to use something like um, the the calendar feature in, in Asana to achieve that. So we can line up exactly what we're trying to achieve each week or each day and move things around and it will automatically assign to the correct people and move the dates accordingly. Using this, it's also a great way to keep a sort of threaded conversation about everything on that article. So in the comments in Asana, you can add all discussion or all decisions about that, which makes it much easier versus If you're private messaging someone on Slack or Skype or you've emailed the editor or the writer and the editor being talking separately and not everyone is aware of all parts of that conversation, then you can miss out on certain important things or understandings of why certain decisions were made or angles were taken. Instead, if you have all that conversation, all that discussion, all those decisions logged in Asana as a, a threaded conversation tied to the task itself then it's just awesome because you have all the information there you can also use this to provide feedback other than commenting or suggesting in a google doc if you're an editor you can provide general feedback like hey i don't like the overall angle we took here in this article please rewrite it please do this please do this it's very nice as the as the manager in that situation to to understand why people are doing the things they're doing and making decisions the way they are uh, and that helps you to give more useful feedback for them i find as well
1: what i like is if people dump everything on asana and google drive they don't need to be online when you need anything like you know when you work people with people in different time zones etc it's so annoying you're like ah i'm missing this this one thing for this article like because whatever it, it wasn't shared or something if people are working directly on Google Drive and they are working there and then they just update on Asana, then it's very easy, especially using the search function to just find everything they've been doing for this piece of content. And usually if they work directly on Google Drive, there's nothing that's missing and you don't, it happens that I work on like Saturday or something and then it's like, I need to wait for Monday for people to come back if there's something missing when we do via email, it doesn't happen here. So it's kind of nice. Okay. I'm going to talk about the next point, which is, no link between formatting and writing. So it's very easy to think of writers as just writers, but websites are really just not text anymore, not just text anymore. And I feel being able to make that transition from kind of like old school walls of text to more magazine-like formatting and stuff that requires images and videos and all that kind of stuff, illustrations, is what makes better sites in general. But the problem is when you work with freelance writers, they don't even, like many of them, the truth is they haven't even opened your website. Unaware of the kind of formatting you're going to be applying to their content or what's available to them. And in the end, even though you have plenty of possibilities with, you know, stuff like Elementor, et cetera, these days, you end up making pretty dull articles with just image, text, image, text, image, text. And it's okay many times. But as we build our websites with fancy formatting and the text volume, it would be nice to make it a bit nicer. So actually, one of the solutions we've had on Authority Hacker for a while, it definitely needs to be refreshed with a new site coming soon, but we have a formatting elements index page where essentially every single element, such as like quotes from people or like tables or these kind of stuff that we use is all put on one page the same way as... People who sell WordPress themes do it when you go on the demo site. You know they show you they showcase all the elements of all the shortcodes built in the theme. We kind of do that on a page, and we actually password protect that page so users can't access it unless they they crack the password for some reason. But really, to see our formatting elements, probably not worth it. And then you give that page to writers. So you put it in your brief, you're like, Hey, here's all the elements that you should be, you could be using when you're writing. So that makes writers write a little bit differently. So for example, if you have this quote box, then maybe they'll be putting a bit more quotes and then as you have your, your editors working with them, they can also be pushing for that. So I know, for example, when we had people write for Atari Hacker, they would make a point and I'd be like, well, you know, it'd be nice if we get some kind of real life case study. I know this guy is uh, running this tactic, how about you email him and ask for a quote from him so that we can make the article more actionable, and more practical. I was like, well, here's the element, et cetera. So as the editor, I was pushing back on people to try to use all these things I made the article a lot less dull. And same with videos, same with all of that. I also really like putting diagrams in content these days and Putting custom illustrations i hire my illustrators on fiverr generally i get good value and there's quite good ones and yeah it's great and the way i make people writer etc work with writers and we do that for like two sites right now is i make them just draw a concept on paper so if they're explaining some technical stuff or if they explain if we're explaining a strategy on otari hacker or something like that i'm like okay just draw the logical process on on a piece of paper and take a photo of it with your phone then send that photo to an illustrator and this illustrator is just going to make it look nice and branded and then you can watermark it etc and sometimes these things even get you backlinks so it's quite nice so yeah giving all these tools to your writers and making that index page teaching them about drawing stuff sending it to a designer slash illustrator and so on. We'll make content so much nicer from freelance writers. I was going to make their job a bit more fun and creative as well, which I think a lot of them started for that reason. And then they end up writing 200 best for wise. But uh, if you can make it a little bit nicer for them as well.
0: Typically, we don't ask our writers to find images, but I know a lot of people do. So if you're doing that, then make sure they have access to all of your resources for that. If you have a stock photo license or account then by all means grant them access to that just be careful about overuse of stock images because there's this kind of syndrome where yeah you know people will search for everyone ends up using the same two three hundred or so stock images for their sites and they all look look the same and it looks very stocky after a while so there are some really good sites out there which have more i guess like artsy kind of photos I think unsplash dot com is is one we we use a lot right now. Consider that one as an approach as well in terms of
1: giving them giving your writers an, an arsenal of elements or things to work with. Yeah. If you use unsplash plus canva and apply some kind of like artsy filters on them, then uh, yeah, you can yeah. you can make these images stand out a little bit more.
0: Yeah, um, so this, is a, this is a problem which we're still guilty of. And uh, I, I think most people listening to this probably have encountered this at some point in their journey. And that's providing a lack of oversight and training to an extent as well on your writers. As internet marketers, there's this, I don't know, it's like a, an instinct we have to create a, a set it and forget it environment or, or attitude with regards to business processes. So this is most evident with people who just hire a writer and give them a list of keywords and say, away you go, write me good articles, and thinking that a good writer will be able to, to produce good articles in that situation without you training them or without you checking ever, anything. And then after they've done their hundredth article, you realize they're all not what you wanted so the after, that recently, actually, so, so having yeah. a, a brief an article brief as we mentioned before, it solves that problem initially to an extent, and you, you absolutely should and absolutely must have have briefs if you're doing any kind of serious content quantity however what what I find happens after that let's say you've you, you've worked with a writer and you know they're they're writing hundred articles, using your briefs are all good then you continue just to feed them keywords and then not check anything and then publish it. And then suddenly you're 500 articles into your site and you realize that the quality started to deteriorate a lot or there's things which you missed at the start. Perhaps the intros were poor or uh, they're writing too much fluff or they missed certain key points and they've gone and made those mistakes for the last 400 or 500 articles, which they've, they've, they've written and you're like, oh, this is a disaster, which does happen from time to time. But if you... Well, if it happens every 500 articles you, out of 10,000, yeah. it's still a pretty high if percentage. You, so th- this is more psychological change. As a site owner, as someone who is managing a writer or a team of writers, you need to provide constant oversight and constant training for them. So even the best writers in the world need this because writing is such a subjective thing that what you have in mind for your site is not necessarily what a writer has in mind. So you need to make sure you're aligned on those points. So very simply, what we, we've been doing recently is having a weekly call with, I have a weekly call one-on-one with all the writers that I manage. Speak to them on voice, on video if you if you want as well and really the main purpose of that is to align your align what you want with what they should be producing so i talk about i get first of all i give them feedback on their recent content that they've been creating so it gives me because i have this scheduled every every week every monday at a certain time i'll know that i need to spend a bit of time beforehand checking what they've done so i can I can give feedback on that that is a really important feedback loop right there. It's probably way more than any most people who are listening to this do certainly until you know earlier this year it was more than than I was doing. but this is creates this even if you're not making that much there's only only one point that you have of feedback every week, just constantly tweaking the direction a little bit here, a little bit there week by week will gradually and consistently improve the quality of the output which a writer provides and it's going to make sure that they're constantly aligned with what your vision is for for not just the angle of the content but like the kind of bar for how good the quality needs to be often people will say oh well i have an editor so i don't need to do that i actually do these calls with our editors as well The main thing with an editor is you need to make sure that they actually give a shit and are not afraid to send content back and push it back. Very often, editors, if you don't manage them properly, will end up just becoming people who check spelling and grammar and don't really analyze the quality of the content. I don't really care too much about spelling and grammar. If there's a few mistakes here and there, whatever.
1: I wouldn't do it otherwise.
0: But really, the the primary goal of an editor is to make sure that the quality standards are consistently hit, and to challenge your writer to challenge what they're producing. So they also need to have some kind of familiarity with the with the topic. In that case, so what I find a, a good sort of approach mentally for for these conversations is to try and help them help both the writer, both the editor to understand what the difference between average or regular content and great content is. So what's the difference between mediocre and what's, what's the difference between A+. I will tend to share examples of of this and share why I believe those pieces of content are good. So if you're a student of ours, if you follow the Authority Site System or Authority Hacker Pro, one thing which we usually do when we're providing keyword lists for for writers is to provide a competitor. So say it needs to be at least as good as this one. Often, I mean, a writer is not going to, especially if you're on an hourly basis or or something, or sorry, a per article basis, they're not going to spend time reading that entire article every single time in full detail. So often they'll miss some of the nuances about why that article is good and like what are the quality bars that it's really setting. So I find just having a quick five-minute discussion about these really helps to kind of solidify what your expectations are and what the level of quality that they should be writing is. And it more often than not will help them to achieve and exceed that. Another thing I like to do is share data sources. So most content out there is fairly average. As soon as you start adding in interesting insights, or unique information using data, especially it suddenly just levels up the quality. I'll put a link to this. There's a really good article on a site called column five media. It's about the hundred best free data sources. It's typically designed for infographics, but it works just as well for if you're writing articles and there's tons of databases out there. Like if you're talking about crime, there's like this FBI database. It's really good. The CIA does one about like country facts and statistics. there's, there's loads for uh, different niches as well it's kind of it goes back to the previous point that gail was saying like giving your writer in, improving their arsenal of stuff that they can use to help them create content rather than you know, providing them with different elements or or images this is like a data source so i found that really helps level up quality sharing tools with them so for readability, something like Hemingway app or I forgot the other one, the name of it now, it assesses the readability score on like a grade level. Often you'll find some writers, especially like highly qualified or highly trained writers often write for a very high grade level, which means that it can be your content can be difficult to understand for some people. Or vice versa, if they're, if they're not a particularly good writer. So there are tools which can assess things. And it, it looks for sentence structure and just assesses general general readability. And it will make suggestions for things to change. Our Hemingway app's great for, for this overall. So Another thing I would say is educating your writers and your, your entire content team really about the way people consume content online. Career writers, especially if they've been working for print publications or something in the past, they have a different view of this and who they're writing for in their mind when they're when they're creating content is very different to the type of people that actually browse and consume content on the web. You have to have two audiences in mind. One is the proper reader who's going to read every word that you write in exquisite detail and check every source and, and, and all that. That will ensure that your content is thrashed out and you kind of go into enough depth and detail. The other is readers who are just going to scan your content. So this is particularly true with topics where you're just trying to provide a kind of quick answer, a quick solution to a question. It's also true if you're doing any kind of content for link building. Very rarely will people who link to you read your entire article word for word. Often they'll just have a quick scan through, maybe read a paragraph here or there, check out the subheadings, check out the structure, check out what you're covering, make sure it seems like you know what you're talking about, and then link to you. So having those scan readers and those full readers in mind as two different groups will enable your writers to, to produce content which suits both audiences in that way which is really important during the writing process. Also understanding who your audience on your particular site is. So something as simple as are they mostly male? Are they mostly female or what age demographics are they? is is very important and you can use look at your Google Analytics data to get a lot of insights into that even something like which web browser are you using if you're if you have a lot of people using Macs that says something about your audience if you have a lot of people using inter- <laughs> if you have a lot well, of people who are, people using are using internet Mac. explorer then maybe your audience is less tech savvy for example so those are things to consider as well you can also do things like survey your audience and, and whatnot to, to provide insights. I would recommend that you put this kind of data and information on your content briefs so that new writers and all writers are constantly re- being reminded of, of who the
1: audience is, really. For the audience stuff as well, if you put the Facebook Ads Pixel on your site, you get a lot of information from Audience Insights, which is a tool from Facebook. So that's another way to get a lot of information, and like, it tells you like which other pages they like, etc. Like what type of content they consume the most. It's quite useful. Yeah, that's really good. Actually,
0: I'm gonna gonna make a note of that. Okay, the last thing actually, which is along a similar vein, is that the uh, having some kind of objective site objective site philosophy and mission statement is really important. So if you're trying to be the best resource to help people make healthy decisions about their diet, then you know say that. If you want to teach people the 80-20 of how to make money online, then say that. Whatever your actual goal is, and usually it revolves around teaching people something, helping people solve a problem, live their life better, this kind of thing, then put that into your content brief and make sure your writer is writing all of their articles with that mission statement, with that idea in in mind. And it, it really helps like I don't do much writing anymore, but I've, I've written quite a bit in the past. And I always find it easier to write when I have a mental picture in my head of like who I'm writing for and why and like what I need to help them with or what, the, what I'm trying to solve for them. So just having this philosophy part in there, I find it's really, really helpful overall. So it's a long point we've made there, but the, in, in general, you need to take more, spend more time, and pay more attention to your entire content team in terms of checking up on them, training them. And by doing this, by forcing yourself to do this regularly, you, do, you will ensure that you not only hit the content quality standards, which you need, but you also maintain them over over time, which is typically, or at least for us in the past, it has been quite difficult. So,
1: Yep. And I think we're going to wrap it up now. I can't believe we talked that long about just like five points but hey here we are so thanks for listening if you enjoy this podcast don't hesitate to subscribe to it on itunes or on soundcloud that guest app is the two places where you can find us google podcast as well there's a new app uh, for android users that's really good if you want to find all the show notes all the urls we talked about in this episode you can find them on authorityhacker.com writer dash mistakes
0: and you can also leave a comment on there. So if you've made some mistakes with, uh, with dealing with writers in the past that you want to share with us or share with others, leave a comment on there. We'll we reply to them
1: all. Okay. Well, then thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week for another episode. <laughs> Bye